Well, as we've been announcing, as a pastor mentioned a moment ago, um, we are going to do our best tonight to address the subject of grief. In my, in my experience, I have found this to be true about grief. From the outside looking in, it's, it's something that can't possibly be understood. But at the same time, if you're on the inside and you're looking out, it's something that can't possibly be explained. As one writer said, grief is a, a world of its own. It's a country, really, and I'm a new immigrant inside it, and like any other country, you have to learn the laws, the rules, the physics, and it's a learning curve. So there's good days and bad days. And he is so true. And if you've walked through grief, then you understand what I'm going to say next, that a good day can become a bad day at the most random times and for the most random reasons. Can be a thought, can be a song. Back in uh, September, I had preached a revival in uh, the Albuquerque area and wrapped it up on Wednesday night. Was got in my car, was driving home on Thursday morning. I had to had it on XM, and I was just cruising down I forty. Uh, heading home, and song came on. So you probably heard it. The only scars in heaven are in the hands that are holding you. And then I began to think that was Thursday. The next day, Friday, our oldest granddaughter was turning 13. And her dad wasn't going to be there to celebrate that milestone in life with her. And for six hours, literally for six hours, all I could do was drive and cry. I, I would stop for a moment, and then I'd get to thinking again, and I'd just, I'd just start crying again. It, it's, it's just, unless you've been there, it's hard to understand, it's hard to explain. Um, a smell, a picture, a piece of clothing, somebody's laugh. They're just random things that, that bring back these, these emotions that we know as grief. I want to begin our, our time together <clears throat> this evening like this. There are three basic problems that are, are common to all of us. Doesn't make any difference who we are. Doesn't make any difference what our stage of spiritual growth is, uh, what our social status is. Uh, none of that matters. Uh, we all have to deal with these same three things, and those are sorrow, sickness, and suffering. And as long as we live in this fallen world, 
we're going to have to deal with all three of those. I was in a conversation with one of the men before church, and, and we were having that conversation. And I said, but one day, God's going to make it all right. I'm thankful for that. But right now, we do live in a fallen world, and their sickness, and their sorrow, and their suffering. And we've all got to deal with it. Now, sometimes we will deal with it indirectly as it comes into the, uh, the lives of other people that we know and love. And I'll just say this real quick. This, uh, that, that's a great opportunity to, to have a, a few of these books on hand because if you're like me, sometimes I find it difficult to know what to say. When you get the call that someone's lost a loved one or, or whatever and, 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 and you go to their home or you see them out and about, it's, it, it's, you just, it's hard to know what to say. And sometimes, and, and I'll not get on my soapbox tonight about this, but sometimes people say the, just the silliest things. And so here's what a lot of people have found and what I've encouraged a lot of people to do is to, to keep one of these on hand, to one or two of these in, on hand. And, and when you see someone, you can do this. Listen, I, I don't know what you're going through, but we had a, a man in our church and him and his wife lost uh, their oldest child and, and he shared some things with us about grief and, and God's allowed them to put some of those things in this little book. And I just want to give you this. And, and I hope it'll be a, a blessing to you. I hope it'll be a help to you. Listen, that is so much better than telling somebody that God needed another angel in the choir or that God needed another flower in his garden. Um, and I could go on and on and on and on with the silly, empty, frivolous things that, uh, that people tend to say uh, during time because they don't know what. To say, And so sometimes we'll deal with, with sorrow, sickness, or suffering indirectly as it comes into the lives of others. But then there, will, there may come a time when we must deal with those things directly as they come into our lives. And this is where our story begins. It was a Tuesday night in February of 2018, <clears throat> it was about seven o'clock. Katie and I were both home. She was sitting out in the living room. I was sitting up in bed in our, in our bedroom. I had my cell phone on the, the bed there and, and it rang and I looked down and it, and it said, Sheena. Well, that's our daughter-in-law. She never calls me. She always calls Katie. And so my first thought was that TJ had left another phone in a deer stand somewhere and he, he couldn't remember which one. And so he's using Sheena's phone to call dad. And so I, I answer the phone and it's Sheena. And she says, is Katie there? And I said, yes. And she said, would you get her? I need to talk to you guys. And so I took the phone out into the living room and I put it on hands free and Sheena started crying, and the first three words out of her mouth were, TJ is dead. There is nothing in the world that could prepare a parent 
for those three words. As a police chaplain, I have delivered many, many death notifications. I have watched grown men as I've had to share the unfortunate news of the passing of, of, of a family member or a, a child or whatever. I've watched grown men fall to their knees and that was me that night. I was not ready to hear what I heard. TJ had been in the, the, the driveway of their home and was working on his pickup and just in a, a freak accident um, was, was killed instantly. He was 35 years old. He was our oldest son. Married to Sheena, um, that's her. They had three girls, the, the, the one on the ground there, that's Mallory Page. She was seven at the time. Um, Ellie Grace, her daddy is, is holding Ellie Grace. She was three. And Sheena's holding Callie May. She was just six months, almost, almost seven. There's so much that, that I would love to tell you about TJ. Um, but suffice it to say, and I mean this with all my heart, if his mom was here, she would, she would vouch for this, that at the time of his death, he was everything that a, a Christian mom and dad could possibly hope one of their children would become. He wasn't perfect. I'm not saying that uh, by any means. He was not perfect. But I can tell you this. He loved the Lord, and he loved his family. He was faithful to the little church that they were members of there in, in Burden, Kansas, Served there as a trustee. Him and Sheena had started a children's church program because they didn't have one. TJ grew up going to children's church, and so they started a children's ministry. Um, he served on the school board. He was very active in, in the community there. He was a very successful businessman. Um, really, he was just an all-around good guy. To know TJ was to love him. Needless to say, that night changed our lives forever. And though the initial brokenness of our loss has subsided, the shock waves of pain are something that we still experience. And in some ways, we'll always experience at certain times during the year, like Christmas and Thanksgiving and Mother's Day and Father's Day. We'll experience them every December 3rd, which was his birthday, and every February the 6th for the rest of our lives. If you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'd ask you to stand real quick. I'm going to be in reading in verse 7, the first six verses. Paul writes about some visions and revelations that um, God showed him. And you can read that on your own. But he, in verse 7, let's pick up with this. And Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations... There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, 
the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, this this thorn in the flesh, and, and we don't know what that was. There's a lot of speculation among uh, men, of God, men of God about what it may have been. But at the end of the day, really, that's all it is. It's speculation. We don't know what it was. But whatever it was, it was something that Paul didn't want. He didn't ask for it, and he didn't want it. Because he asked God, look, it says there, he asked God thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And God's answer was this, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Thank you for standing tonight. The first thing that I want you to understand with respect to the grief of loss is this, you don't have to get over it. Shortly following TJ's death, as as word began to spread uh, all across the country, a dear friend of mine who for many, many years pastored in Georgia, uh, Brother Dean Herring, uh, he's now in Kuna, Idaho, he had planted a church there, Brother Dean reached out to me. He too had experienced a tragedy in the death of one of his grandsons. And Brother Dean reached out to me and he said, Bill, I I just want to share three things with you really quick and I hope they'll help you. And the three things that he shared to me was this. Number one, he said, you don't have to get over it. Number two, he said, you can't get over it. And perhaps the most encouraging to me was when he said, God doesn't require you to get over it. Think about this. Assuming that Paul was afflicted with this thorn in the flesh, because in the first six verses, he mentions 14 years ago. And so let's just, let's just assume tonight that Paul was afflicted with this thorn in the flesh, immediately or, or maybe soon after receiving the visions and revelations that he talked about at the beginning of this chapter, that means that by the time he wrote this second letter to the Corinthians, he had dealt with it for 14 years. And I stand to be corrected tonight, but I do not read anywhere in the scriptures where God ever took that thorn away. I think that, that based upon just our knowledge of, of Paul and his spirit and his attitude, that had God done that, that certainly Paul would have given him glory, that Paul would have praised him, that Paul would have used that as an opportunity to teach us something valuable, maybe about prayer or about perseverance or about suffering through trials. But we don't read anywhere in any of, of the New Testament scriptures where God ever took that thorn in the flesh away from Paul. And so I think it is safe to say tonight 
that he continued to deal with it for the rest of his life. So he never got over it. He went to sleep at night with it, and he woke up every morning with it, and he lived throughout every day with it for the rest of his life. The concept of of getting over it is a misleading and empty expectation. And I I like to describe it like this. We get over breaks and sprains. We don't get over amputations. Last summer, I was mowing my grass and I mow my grass every week and without, without incident, without any drama, I just mow my grass and do my thing. One afternoon I was, was mowing my grass and I don't know if I, I, I don't know what happened, but I twisted my ankle. And I mean, I twisted it like all the way over. It, it, in a split second, I did that and boom, I hit the ground and I was rocking back and forth. I was writhing in pain. It really, really hurt. I, I'm not joking. It hurt. It was burning. It was stinging. It was hurting. It's like, ah, oh, this is, I did not need this. I did not want this. And I was in pain. And I sat there for a couple of minutes, honestly, on my front, on my front lawn, just clenching my ankle. It hurt so bad. But you know, eventually I was able to get up and I began walking and I had a, I had a little limp and, and so I, you know, it was, it was a little ginger, a little tender. And, and so I just took it easy and I just kept walking and, and eventually, you know what? I was able to walk it off and get back to mowing my grass. But let's say that I got a cut in my foot. And that cut got infected. And that infection began running uncontrollably up my leg. And and the doctor came in and said, listen, Mr. Prater, the only way that we're going to be able to save your life and to save the rest of your leg is to amputate your leg right above the knee. How many of you would agree with me tonight? That's not something that I would just be able to walk off. That, that's not something that, that I would be able to just turn a blind eye to because a piece of me is missing. I might be able to, to, to cover it up with a prosthesis and, 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 and make my way through the day, but at the end of the day, I'm going to have to take that off and I'm going to be looking at a nub. And every morning I'm going, to be, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be looking at a nub. I think it's safe to say that that's something that I would never get over. A loss like the one our family suffered and some of you have suffered is an amputation. A part of you is missing. And you are reminded of that missing part every day sometimes multiple times during the day. You with me? 
So we get over breaks and sprains. We don't get over amputations. And when a part of your life is gone and it's never coming back, you don't get over that. I've heard it explained this way. We don't don't look at people around us who are experiencing life's joys and tell them to get over it. For example, let's say some friends of yours are blessed with the birth of, let's say it's their first child. And so they're all excited about it and you're excited for them. And and so you go to the the store and and you get a a card and and you write a little note in there congratulating them on the, uh, the, the birth of their first child and you give that to them. Let's say five years later, you're standing at the, the kitchen counter and you're going through the mail and, and you open a card and it's an invitation to that, that child's fifth birthday party. Who looks at that and says, are you kidding me? Another birthday? For crying out loud, this is like five years in a row. Okay, we get it. You got a kid. You've had him five years. You need to just get over it. We laugh at that. We don't expect people to get over the birth of a child. So why should we expect them to get over the death of one? or any other kind of loss as far as as that goes. Helping others understand that they don't have to get over it will hopefully deliver them from the unrealistic expectations, listen now, of people who mean well, and and I mean it, in my heart, I believe that people mean well when they say things like, it's going to be okay. Time will heal and you'll get over it. And they mean well. They really do. They mean well. But they've never walked that path. And so in all kindness, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They don't. Because we'll never get over it. It just won't happen. Jerry Sitzer lost his wife, his daughter, and his mother all in the same car wreck. And in his book, A Grace Disguised, he writes this, Can anyone really expect to recover from such tragedy, considering the value of what was lost and the consequences of that loss? Catastrophic loss, by definition, precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There is no going back to the past, which is gone forever, only going ahead to the future, which is yet to be discovered. Whatever that future is, it will and must include the pain of the past with it. Sorrow never entirely leaves the soul of those who have suffered a severe loss. If anything, it may keep going deeper. I mentioned my friend, Brother Dean Herring, 
uh, earlier, he on occasion will will write a, a blog and on a the, one of the anniversaries of of Josiah, his grandson's death, Brother Dean wrote this, the notion that suddenly or eventually the sorrow somehow dissipates as a fable that has been created by the empty slogans of people who have never suffered deep loss. Why do we feel ashamed of sorrow as though it's some sort of leprous emotion? Why do we hide our tears when our Savior wept openly at the death of a friend? The ability to sorrow and weep is a gift from God and a sure sign of a living heart and a greater love. The pain remains and the tears come like rogue waves, but God has somehow enabled us all to live through the unthinkable. We're here. We live on in our sorrow and in our pain. We live with his grace. So the first thing I want you to understand tonight is this. You don't have to get over it, but, but please don't, don't bail on me now because there's, there's another important truth that we need to understand tonight, and it's this. We can get through it. We can get through it. Sometimes people speak of, of someone getting over a, a loss as, as though they're supposed to just move on like it never happened. You know, just, just shut the door behind you and, and do your best to pretend the pain away. Listen tonight, it's not that easy. Doesn't work like that. Be wonderful if it did, but it doesn't. And that's not what I'm talking about tonight when I talk about uh, being able to get through it. Here's what I'm talking about. Getting through a loss is about that time that eventually comes, and, and, and let me just say this, that time is different for everyone. I mean, you think about, you, you think about TJ and Sheena's relationship. They had a one flesh intimacy with each other that nobody else had. They became one flesh. And so she has her grief. And then you have Katie, my wife, and you ladies understand this, that when you carry a child in your womb for nine months, there's something special that happens there. There is a bonding that takes place there that nobody else will understand. I don't get it, but my wife does. And so there's her grief, and there's, then there's my grief as his dad, but not just his dad, but we were buds. I mean, we were best friends. I didn't just lose a son. I lost one of the best friends I've ever had in my whole life. And so everybody grieves differently and the, the time frames are different. But I'm talking tonight about the time that eventually comes when someone accepts the horrible event that brought them so much grief and sorrow and with the Lord's help, they find the strength to move forward in life despite the loss and pain. A sense of closure comes when someone finally allows themselves to accept the reality that what was done is done. 
and nothing will bring back the past or undo the damage. Okay, well, did, did Paul ever get through his situation? And I, I believe he did. I believe we, we see proof of that in our text tonight in verse 9 where he said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And if you know anything about the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, the power of Christ did rest upon him as is evidenced in his preaching and church planting ministry. And so, yes, Paul was able to accept what had come into his life. But he didn't let that stop him from living. He didn't let that stop him from moving forward. He was able to accept it and then to begin moving forward in his life in spite of the hurt, in spite of the pain, in spite of the inconvenience. And that's all I'm saying tonight. That with the Lord's help, we can get to that point in our life where we are moving forward again, where we are making progress again. Now, understand this tonight. Acceptance doesn't mean that everything is okay. The fact that there was an empty chair at our table during Christmas, I'm sorry, that's not okay. And the fact that there was an empty chair during Thanksgiving, I'm sorry, but that's not okay. And the fact that my wife and I in a couple of weeks will drive four and a half hours to the east and and visit our son's grave on February the 6th, I'm sorry, but that's not okay. It's just not. And so I'm not saying tonight that, that, that everything is okay because everything is not okay. But here's what I am saying. You are okay. I am okay. We are okay. My wife and I, we're okay. We're, we're, we're gaining ground. We're pushing through. We're okay. We've accepted that our son is gone. And, 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 and we're not going to get him back. but we're okay. Does that make sense? We're okay. And we're we're learning to get through it even though we'll never get over it. The third truth that I'll share with you is this, and and, and, and this people have have commented a lot about, about this truth, and it's this, it's okay to ask why. A lot of people through the years have, have been led to believe incorrectly, in my opinion, that it's wrong to ask why. But I submit to you tonight that God is not put off by our questions. I mean, just think biblically with me for a moment. David questioned God numerous times in the Psalms when when seeking for answers. 
I mean, he questioned God when, when, when he seemed to be distant. He questioned God when he felt like God had forsaken him. He questioned God when he felt like God had forgotten about him. There was a, a time, and I, I would chuckle at this, there was a time when David even thought that maybe God had fallen asleep. And he questioned him. He questioned him when he felt like God was hiding from him. He questioned him when he felt like injustice was going to be permitted to go on unpunished. And besides David, Moses questioned God in Numbers chapter 11, as did Habakkuk in chapter 1, and Job in chapter 7, and the disciples in John chapter 9. And if those biblical examples aren't enough, then just go with me in your mind to the close of the book of Matthew. And and there's Jesus, and he's hanging on the cross beside in the middle of two thieves and he's suspended between heaven and earth and in the the darkness of that moment he cries out my God my God help me church why God why and would you not agree with me tonight that if, if, if the Son of God can, can ask his Father why, that it's okay if you and I ask why? Why? Why is our Son, why is he gone? Why have his wife left to raise three daughters? Why does his wife have to answer questions like, Mommy, when is Jesus going to fix Daddy and bring him home? Why? Why? I'm not mad at God. I'm not angry at God. I'm just not God, and and so I don't get it. I don't understand it. But it's okay. John Kitchen said, Why is the first and greatest word of the suffering soul. Our why questions allow us to go before our heavenly father and pour our heart out to him. But all of that being said, I'll say this. I do believe that there is a danger in a persistent focus on why. Because the longer our question goes unanswered, the more it fe- excuse me, feeds a sense of entitlement. And as that sense of entitlement grows, it usually leads to bitterness. As you can imagine, bitterness is a whole other sermon in and of itself. But let me just Let me just share a couple thoughts with you real quick about how to keep from getting bitter. Number one, accept what cannot be changed. There is not a person sitting before me or watching online tonight who wouldn't go back and reverse the events of February the 6th, 2018 if they could. But they can't. What happened, happened. Our son is gone. And we accept that. We don't like it. We don't understand it. 
But we know that that's the reality. And then here's the second thought I'd share with you. Don't lose sight of what's left by focusing solely on what was lost. That's not to suggest that you should forget about your friend or forget about your loved one and, 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 and just move on. Not at all. That's not what I'm saying. Listen, our family, we are not, my wife and I and our, his siblings and his wife, we're not moving on from TJ. We are moving forward with him. He will always be a part of our life. There are pictures of him all over our home. There are are memories of him all over our family. We're not forgetting about him and just moving on. No, he's coming with us on this journey. He will always be a part of our heart. You see, getting through is about reliving the good memories. And refusing to let the painful ones drag us down. Sometimes we can let our painful memories so dominate our minds and viewpoints that our good memories all but disappear as they get tucked away in some dark corner of our mind. So no, this is not about forgetting our son. It's about choosing not to let his death consume us. And here's why. This is very practical. Because we still have our daughter-in-law and our three granddaughters and our son and his wife and their son and our daughter and her husband and their three sons who need us. Those kids still need Grammy and Papa. <laughs> and as old as they as old as our kids are, they still need mom and dad. On a different level, yes. But just this week. They needed mom and dad. Every week they need us in some form or fashion. And and, and so allowing ourselves to become consumed by the grief of our loss has the potential to rob them and others in our lives of the love and affection and attention that they need. Does that make sense? That they need and rightly deserve. I'll be honest, the last thing, the last thing that Katie and I want to see happen is for TJ's brother and sister to come to a place where they resent their brother's death because it's robbed them of a mom and dad and it's robbed their kids of Grammy and Papa. And so we have been very, very intentional about making sure that our other two children 
and our nine grandchildren know that we love them and that we're there for them and that we're gonna be a part of their life as much as we possibly can. Again, does that mean we're forgetting TJ? No, not at all, not at all. But we don't wanna become bitter and we don't want our other children to become bitter. And then the final truth that I'll share with you tonight is this, God's grace is sufficient. And there's, uh, there's so much other things, uh, so much other stuff that I could talk about tonight. It's all in the, the book there if you wanna grab it. But I'll tell you this tonight, the pain of losing our son was greater than, than anything I can even begin to describe. But the help that we have received from the Lord is greater than than I could even begin to explain. God said to Paul, look at it, it's in red letters in my Bible. My grace is sufficient. Mark that word, my grace is sufficient for thee. I love the word sufficient. You know why? Because it means enough. Paul, my grace is always and forever enough. Church, it would be easier to dip a sponge into the Atlantic or the Pacific and soak up all the water than it would be to exhaust God's supply of grace. You could, you could more easily step out your front door in the morning and suck all of the oxygen out of the atmosphere with a straw than you could exhaust God's supply of grace. My grace, God said, is enough. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. When John Newton penned this promise, he did so out of personal experience. His greatest test came the day that his wife, Mary, died. He loved her dearly and had prayed so often that his death would precede hers, but his prayer was not answered. On the day that Mary Newton died, John Newton found strength to preach a Sunday sermon. The next day he visited church members and later he officiated at his wife's funeral. He grieved. Yes, he grieved, but in his grief, he found God's provision. And he would later write these words, the Bank of England is too poor to compensate for such a loss as mine. But the Lord, the all-sufficient God, speaks and it is done. Let those who know him and trust him be of good courage. He can give them strength according to their day. He can increase their strength as their trials increase. And what he can do, he has promised that he will do. Thank God tonight for his all-sufficient, amazing grace.
I know that I preached on grace Sunday morning and certainly there is so much more that could be said about the word. But I'll just say this tonight. And I, I know I speak for my wife as well and our son and our daughter. I don't know where we'd be without it. I just don't. And I mean that. I'm not being cliches tonight. I absolutely mean that. I do not know where I would be. I was a wreck. I was a mess. I was lost. That, that, that news that night wrecked me. And I do not know where I would be if it were not for God's grace. Many have attempted to define grace, and I, I've always enjoyed or, or appreciated this definition of grace. Grace is God's supply for my every need when I need it. God just knows when I need a little extra measure of grace. He anticipates it and makes sure that it's there when I need it. But how, how do we tap into this enormous supply of grace? Preacher, I've heard people talk about God's grace all of my Christian life. Grace for this, grace for that, grace here, grace there. But, but, but how, how do I make it mine? How do I tap into it? And I honestly, church, the Bible gives us the answer. In Hebrews chapter 4, And verse 16, let us therefore come boldly, confidently unto the throne of what? Grace. It's a throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy. And look at that last line. And find grace to help in time How do we tap into God's supply of grace? We do it by asking him for it. So when we need grace, and I mean this great, just to take another step. And if you've been through grief or if you are grieving right now, you know exactly what I'm saying. When when you don't know if you can take another step and you need God's grace just to take another step, all we've got to do is pray and say, God, I can't do this. I have to have your grace. When we don't feel like we can live another day or cope with another memory, ah, listen, we simply go to the Lord in prayer and be honest with him. God, I can't do this another day. God, my heart hurts so bad. God, I am so lost. Lord, I am so 
so deep in grief. You know, God is acquainted with grief. He understands. And though you may be able to come to me and I may be able to go to you because we both grieve and and we may be able to share our grief with one another. Listen, I can't do for you what God can do. You can't do for me what God can do. I can't do for my wife what God can do. She can't do for me what God can do. We have a God who invites us. You understand that tonight? He invites us, come. Come to my throne of grace. And I'm going to be merciful to you. And there you're going to find the grace you need to take another step, to live another day, to deal with another memory. Aren't you thankful tonight for God's grace?